Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Nefesh podcast. This is episode two, and we're going to be looking a little bit more about this into this idea of the soul and not just the soul as a separate part of ourselves or as a separate entity, as something that we have to really mysteriously try to uncover with a microscope. But the soul is something that we can see in all aspects of our lives. The soul is who we are, and yet the soul is mysterious. It is something that can kind of hide from our awareness, especially as uh, if we are living lives unaware. One of my favorite quotes by Socrates is that the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, you know, give it, give it to a Greek philosopher to be melodramatic. Of course, that's not what we mean. We um, and he, I mean, he may have, he was, you know, a Greek philosopher, but I certainly don't mean that, you know, that your life is not living if it's unexamined, but the emphasis upon a life of examination, a life that, that reflects and understands itself is, is good and healthy. And certainly in spiritual formation, the ancient church fathers and mothers and Christian tradition they utilized a practice called the the prayer of examine and it's spelled e-x-a-m-e-n prayer of examine and some of the rituals would involve a, whether a nightly ritual or midday ritual morning ritual where you present yourself before the lord in a type of silent prayer of meditation and allow the lord to bring to your awareness you the reality of you, the times in your day or your previous day where perhaps you messed up, where you made mistakes or made areas, and he wants to bring it to your awareness so that he can help heal and fix and transform those broken broken areas. It's not meant to be a time of self-flagellation where you beat yourself up or you think he's going to beat you up uh, over those things, but it's meant to be uh, reflective and not for the purpose of self-absorption and uh, analyzing as what we, what we would refer to or people call navel gazing. I'm just so, I'm looking into myself so much that I don't see anything else, but it is a truly especially in the Christian tradition, it is an act of surrender, that I am surrendering all parts of my life and my day to God to allow him to reveal to me, to expose those areas that maybe I don't want to look at or I don't want to notice, that, that he, can, he can show me where I may be struggling or show me where there are areas of brokenness or areas that need healing. It's not self-examination for the purpose of self-examination. It is, it is a prayerful reflection that allows God to uncover, reveal, expose for his sake and for his glory. Robert Mulholland has a favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes in, as it relates to spiritual formation. And he says that the spiritual formation is the process of being transformed or conformed or formed to the image of Christ 
for the sake of others. And I love that last part, that spiritual formation is for God's glory and for others' sake. It's not for my own sake. It's not so that I can be a perfect individual or a perfect soul or perfectly uh, 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 created or defined individual that is better than somebody else, but it is literally for your sake. I am being transformed for your sake so that you don't have to put up with all of the, the, the areas of my life that may negatively affect you. And it's a holistic process. Spiritual formation is a, in my opinion, is a holistic process. Understanding that at the, the root of it is the character formation, the depth of our formation of our soul that is impacted in all areas of my life. That at the root of it, my soul, my will, my character is transformed and that then affects every other part of my life because I am not merely a soul that is encased in a body. Uh, I am a person who has a soul and the soul is intertwined in all parts of my life. And the soul, this nefesh idea, is a beautiful aspect of, again, what many people, scholars think is the reflection of the divine image, the image of God as reflected in you and I. And that could be just one part of the image of God, but certainly the soul is a reflection of God's image in every human being. In the 1600s, an Anglican priest named John Wesley, he was famous for a lot of things, uh, really starting the Wesleyan movement or the Methodist denomination in the Christian tradition, but he was almost also famous for kind of being the father of small groups that are now being used in almost every Christian church, even, even uh, uh, churches of other faiths. But this idea of small groups, of, of breaking the whole group down into smaller groups for intimacy and accountability and spiritual growth. And one of the things that he and others, when they would get together in these small groups, would say, they would ask one another, how is it with your soul? And so as we start this podcast, I want to ask you that question. How is it with your soul? What is your soul saying to you right now? What is the depth of you saying? What is it crying out for? What is it asking? Or do you even know? Again, if, if our soul is interconnected into all parts of ourselves, and yet the soul is unique, it is both connected and unique, if it is, if it is the seat or the foundation of, of much of ourselves, What is the soul saying? What is your soul saying to you? Is its voice so soft that you can't hear it? Is it screaming and so you've tuned it out? What is, what is the cry 
at the very depth, the very, the very essence of you. What, what is your soul saying to you? How is it with your soul? Ruth Haley Barton, who is an author and speaker, speaks a lot, writes a lot on spiritual formation. In her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, and in another book, Sacred Rhythms, she talks about the tender nature of our soul, that our soul can really go into hiding if it is not cared for, if it is not noticed. that there is a part of ourselves that really all parts of ourselves that need to be tended to and we need to be aware of in this reflective nature. But for sure the soul as it is, as there is a depth of us that connects with the divine and I believe with each other, as we discussed in our last episode, that one of the things that connects us to one another, in fact, maybe the very essence of our humanity, which reflects the image of God, is our connection, our soulful connection with each other. That soulful, intimate, and very, very depth, in-depth part of ourselves can get scared away by the rough nature of life because there is, again, such a sensitivity to, the, to it. And so how is it with your soul? It is interesting that the Buddhist religion does not believe in the individual soul. Hinduism, which is a similar Eastern religion, Buddhism grows out of Hinduism, Hinduism, both Hinduism and Buddhism are native to uh, the, the, to Indians uh, in India. It originated out of there thousands of years ago. Hinduism comes out of a, what is known as a Vedic religion, Vedic uh, scriptures, and it reflects in its essence, a, a belief in reincarnation, a belief in a connection with the divine in all things. Um, and out of this Vedic religion arose Hinduism, and then out of Hinduism and the, that, Hindu, uh, that kind of Vedic cultures comes out Buddhism. Well, Buddhism differed from Hinduism in, in some things, in some areas, and in one key area, and that is that it does not believe in the individual soul. And it doesn't believe that the soul lives on after you and I die because it, it doesn't exist. For the Buddhist religion, it sees the soul or a belief in the soul and a belief in the, a, a life of reality, it, it sees that as the trap. It sees that as the point of suffering. Buddhism says that you and I are suffering. You and I suffer from day to day, not because of the events that happen to us, not because of the ailments that we experience, not because of losses or other things, but because we believe that we have a soul and 
essentially we are clinging to this life, demanding that life give to us other than what it should. But that when we release life, we release our desires, we release our passions, we release our hold on this life, we will learn and understand that we, our soul really doesn't exist and that this life is constantly in a process of change, that we cannot hold on to anything and that, that desires are fleeting. And so Buddhists, the Buddhist philosophy of the Buddhist religion is to remove one's desires, is to pull away from life, is to let go of the things that have a hold uh, on our emotions, on our desires. It sees those things as the trap. And it's an interesting concept. Religion has over the years, the thousands of years that you see various religions pop up in various cultures, religion is used or comes out of, arises out of a need, a need that people have for something other than themselves. Religion asks or helps to answer existential questions. Why am I here? Why am I alive? Why do I exist? Where did I come from? And is there anything that lives on after me? For the Buddhist religion, it, it seems to come to a point where it says asking those very questions are actually part of the problem. Stop trying to hold on to your soul because your soul really doesn't exist. And it's through that point of understanding you will reach this point of enlightenment or nirvana. And nirvana in the Buddhist faith, Buddhist religion means to, or the essence of the word means to extinguish. And it's the point at which you extinguish all desires. And that is when you exit out of the reincarnation cycle and you really cease to exist. And that is peace and the afterlife for the Buddhist religion. It's quite the opposite of what the Christian religion, the Christian faith believes. Christian faith believes, again, that, that God created humanity in the image of God and imbued everyone breathed into every human this breath of life and that every person has a soul and that idea of soul and nefesh particularly in the christian faith in in the bible is is the essence of each human i understand why the Buddhist religion would want to let go of that, particularly as this struggle with ourselves is really the hardest struggle in life. It's a, it's a lot harder to struggle with myself and the transformation process that needs to take place than it is to struggle with you, even though I'm really good at blaming you for all of my problems and my mistakes. I'm really, really, it's really easy to deflect and put the source of my problems 
on you, right? You've done that. We've all done that. It's easy to do that. But the truth of it is that there is, there is something within me that is the, the essence of my soul. It's as if it struggles with itself in this process of growth and transformation. And it's very hard. Silence and solitude is one of the, the spiritual formation activities and exercises. And it's actually one of the foundational spiritual exercises that, that is encouraged for the very reason that it pulls us away from others, which we need. We were meant to be in community, but we rely upon community not only to serve our own needs, but also as a point of deflection. The more I'm around you, the more I can focus on you rather than what is going on inside of me. And so silence and solitude encourages each person to pull away and to be with themselves and to be with God. And it is probably the hardest spiritual activity to do. Now, I, I actually, there, it's both a struggle still, but it's also something that I, I enjoy, or at least enjoy for the first little part, but then, and then it's a struggle to keep being there on my own because my mind is going a, a million miles an hour uh, and thinking of everything. And it takes me a while for me to just kind of settle down and be present and still. Um, but I will say that fasting is probably the hardest. I don't know how people do it. They, uh, I just love food too much. And, and every time I talk about fasting, I'm convicted that I probably should, should do more fasting, uh, essentially in spiritual formation, wherever, wherever you feel like a drawing to do something, it probably means that God is inviting you into that. Um, and I'm running pretty hard away from that. That's just an honest admission there. So fasting is, is the hardest one for me, but, but silence and solitude as a whole is, is the most difficult ex- exercise in spiritual formation to do. We're alone with ourselves, with our thoughts, with our emotions. We're alone with our soul. And for those of us who have made it a habit to go, go, go constantly to where we are constantly inundated with noise, with kids, with, with coworkers, with podcasts, with uh, music, with TV, or even books, whatever it might be. The, the idea of pulling away and seeing what's there is very scary. And in fact, most people have the reaction of, you know, uh, I'm, I must be doing something wrong, or this can't possibly be right because I'm freaking out and I'm anxious or I'm really depressed. And so I better put my headphones back on or I better go back into civilization. But that's actually a good sign. I mean, you know, don't, don't go and do anything that's going to hurt yourself, but it's, it's very likely that is a good sign that your, your self is starting to slow down. Your soul is, is starting to catch up with the rest of you. And you're coming face to face, soul to soul, or soul to you with the reality of what is going on inside of you. I understand why the Buddhist religion believes that there is no soul 
because in a lot of ways it makes things easier. It's a lot easier to detach from emotions and desires and the very things that cause me trouble. It's a lot easier to detach than it is to than it is to really engage them and press in and address those things. Now I will give it to 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 Buddhists. They practice similar activities uh, for different purposes. They will go into to times of silence and solitude and meditation. But the purpose of those, and so that is hard. I mean, that's hard whatever religion you're doing that in. But the purpose there is to detach fully from everyone and everything and to remove all desires. Well, the purpose of silence and solitude and meditation and the spiritual formation process for the Christian faith is not to remove, but to transform. Dallas Willard once said that our wanter, our W-A-N-T-E-R, our wanter is broken. The things that we desire, it is broken. Our desire that that root of all desire is broken and we want things that we shouldn't want and we don't want things that we should want and that the spiritual formation process transforms those desires and our desires change so that we want the things that Jesus wants we want the things that God wants us to want as to as opposed to the things that are not good, not healthy. The soul is a powerful thing. The soul is what unites humanity to one another. Our collective humanity. The soul is also a tender thing. And Ruth Haley Barton and Ray Anderson and others, Dallas Willard, would encourage us to nurture the soul. John Wesley would encourage us, if he could today, to reflect upon and examine our soul. To reflect upon where our soul is at. What is it that our soul desires? What are the desires of our heart? Where is our soul leading us? What parts of our soul need to be surrendered so that they can be transformed? What parts of our soul need silence and solitude?
what parts of our soul need to be encouraged, need healing, what parts of our soul need connection with others. Ray Anderson, in his book, Self-Care, he said that the human person is both body and soul, embodied soul and be sold body. The person is not just a soul who has a body, but rather exists as a body-soul unity. Our body and our soul are interwoven, interconnected. We cannot separate the two. And the two together really allow us to experience life on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on an intellectual level, on a physical level, on a social level. That the soul and the body are the way within the Christian faith, the way God created, as it is believed, humans to be, to interact with all parts. And in that soul-body combination, we connect with others, we live life, and we move into this transformation process. One of the things that I look forward to in this podcast is connecting with people and hearing about their, their soul stories, their stories, the things that make each person, the things that make each person unique and the, th the challenges and the joys for each person. It is in the sharing of our stories as we reflected last time that we truly learn about one another and that we can truly feel connected with one another and that is a healthy part of the transformation process connecting with one another hearing each other's stories being challenged by each other's stories being encouraged being convicted being aware and and within your story my own story is is comes out and is revealed i can see myself and and see you you become a mirror for me and my own struggles and my own challenges and i'm able to see where the parts of me need healing or need need uh, uh freedom need need repair or need to be uncovered in the Christian Bible, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, the notorious Adam and Eve, who get blamed for all of humanity's ills, um, the story of their fall is interesting because once they have made the egregious mistake of eating from that tree, that they were not supposed to eat. This is taking place in the book of Genesis chapter three in the, in the uh, actually in, in the Hebrew Bible as well. Um, in the Hebrew Bible, Christian Bible, Catholic Bible, 
in Genesis chapter 3, when they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they realize what they've done, it says that they become ashamed. They see that they are naked, and they are ashamed. And they run, and they hide. And they not only hide from God, but they cover themselves. They take fig leaves, and they sow fig leaves together that must have taken a lot of time just to think about it i mean we picture this story happening at a quick clip but i mean it would take time right to kind of whatever however they sewed that together put the maybe tied these branches of fig leaves together and they did it to cover themselves and so whenever i've read and i've thought and i've taught about that story the question always comes to mind why would they cover themselves? Why would they cover their, their, their nakedness? They've been around together, um, like the Blue Lagoon. Uh, if you've ever seen that movie, you'll understand that reference. They've been, they've been around each other, and all of a sudden they need to run and hide, or they need to cover themselves from their own uh, nakedness from each other. Well, assuming that there's nobody else in the garden there other than animals, why are they covering up from each other? Well, that word naked in the Hebrew Bible, it, it, it implies innocence and vulnerability. It implies uh, an openness. And once they ate from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they had an awareness of evil and potentially the ability for that other person to harm me picture eve looking at adam and it's as if she can see into his soul and maybe she sees parts of him where she hadn't seen before because in her innocence um, she maybe couldn't see his potential to harm her and so all of a sudden, she doesn't want to be vulnerable, fully vulnerable anymore. And so both figuratively, symbolically, and literally, she covers up and he covers up from her. It's as if they both look at each other and see into each other's soul and see the potential for that other person to harm them. They didn't see it before because there was no awareness of evil. They were completely open, completely honest, completely vulnerable. This is the assumption because they were naked, as, as that scripture says, and they knew no shame. And there was not an awareness of evil or the reality of evil. But once they were made aware of it, they hid from God because they had disobeyed him and they covered up from each other. From that very act, humanity has been struggling ever since to be both vulnerable with God and vulnerable with each other. Our souls have taken a beating, both our own, the beating of our souls by ourselves and, and others beating us, and our souls are longing to be in that shalom, peace, 
relationship that is depicted in the Garden of Eden, a full openness and community with God and full openness and community with humanity. It's not possible in this life to be completely 100% fully open with others because there are, are so many variables and unknowns. And yet, and yet, our souls need that connection with other, with safe others, where we can commune with one another and share and see and connect. And the sharing of our stories, the sharing of our, sto- our soul's journeys is so powerful and important. Throughout history, today, the past, the present, and the future, this part of our humanity is so powerful and important. And it's something that we must constantly strive towards. Well, again, I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, that you have stayed with me. Again, just use this to put yourself to sleep if, if needed. And uh, I'm excited about this journey ahead as we continue to, to um, examine really the, the soul of everything, uh, whether it's our, our, our collective humanity, our individual lives, but also the reality of, of the challenges that we face, that we've come out of, as we've mentioned previously, coming out of the pandemic and attempting to, to find a new normal today. Our souls are really desperate for that establishing understanding and finding a new normal, finding ways to understand and, and connect with others. We are faced with a lot, a lot of challenges. But if there's one thing that, one thing that humans have learned to do is that they have learned to not just survive, but they've learned to adapt. I love uh, a, a great quote from one of my all-time favorite uh, fictional stories Anne of Green Gables series uh, Mrs. Lind Mrs. Rachel Lind she has this statement no I yes I think it was her uh, she says uh, she says a body can get used to anything even death uh, we as individuals we eventually get used to we adapt to really anything and uh, eventually we adapt to death because that's uh, you know that that happens to everybody but uh, we have an amazing ability as humans to to survive and overcome and then adapt. How we adapt, how we forge a new way ahead, how we find a new normal, how our souls find a new normal, how we how we grow both together and individually, collectively as a human society and individually is so important. And let me encourage you to make that a priority in your life, whether it's a a few seconds every day, a few minutes, whatever the time is that you have, and maybe that's a practice that you want to engage in, the prayer of examine, where you take a few minutes and you just, you surrender those minutes to God and you ask God, as Psalm 130, I believe it's 139, talks about, test me and know me, see if there is any anxious way in me lead me in the way everlasting psalm 138 or 139 test me the psalmist writer writes test me and know me see if there is any anxious way in me and lead me in the way everlasting that we allow god 
to see all parts of ourselves and that we ask him very carefully, very tenderly to reveal those parts of ourselves in which growth is needed. We surrender that to God and we, we really invite him into our space. And we, we carefully give that soul, that space back to him because he is the only one as the Christian faith believes, the only one who is able to perfectly, completely hold and care for our souls as they need to be. All right, well, thanks for joining me this time. We will see you uh, next time on the Nefesh podcast.